Hello and welcome to the Los Blancas podcast. As you can tell, this is a little different because I don't normally do the intro. Ohm does, but today you are joined by just me because Ohm is feeling a little under the weather. He asked if I could go solo. I said I'd do it. Hopefully you guys are okay with that and it's not too boring without Ohm's tactical rants. But today was a, a big a big day for all of Real Madrid. It was a six-pointer. The men picked up three points. The women picked up three points. And from what it looked like, I didn't get to watch much of the men's game. But they were pretty similar in the fact that we picked up three points, 1-0 result, but the performance wasn't necessarily super promising. But what matters especially for Real Madrid Feminino right now is getting those 3 points and staying in the title or the the conversation for the second and third place UEFA Champions League qualification places and as we'll talk about further on it was really important to get these 3 points because of other results around the league so we came into this game looking for our fifth straight league win the only loss we've had in that stretch was to Barcelona, that gutting 1-0 loss in the Spanish Super Cup. And as we've been talking about throughout this kind of stretch, Torreal has really been rotating heavily. And today we saw a lot of that rotation. And we start to see some of these mixing and matching players in different positions, players returning to the lineup. And today we went with a pretty conventional 4-2-3-1. We saw Athenea return to the starting lineup. We saw... Zornosa return after serving her suspension and basically how we lined up was Misa in goal obviously Kenti Robles Rocio comes in for Babbitt Peter at center back Ivana Andres is captain as always next to her and then Sophie Svava gets another start at left back the double pivot was Kasi and Zornosa as I said Zornosa served that suspension and is back in the side then we had a three of Athenea out on the right, Olga Carmona out on the left playing in that attacking role again and with Svava like she did in, in Svava's first game. And we'll get into to those performances. And then in the 10, you had Kozavari Aslani getting one of her first starts in a while and giving Maite a rose who's been in that position some rest. And then up top, you had Esther. And... This seemed like a pretty strong lineup on paper. Maybe maybe something to be said for the midfield. We haven't seen Teresa all that much. And I think this is a game that she would have been strong in. But you guys know I do love myself some Tere. But this is the lineup we went with. And basically it operated as a 4-2-3-1 in attack. And it almost kind of also operated as a 4 2 Four at times, where Olga pulls wide left, Athenea pulls wide right, Esther and Aslani have kind of a false 9-9 nine, nine role where they understand each other's movement and either Aslani drops and Esther goes up top, or Esther drops and Aslani kind of makes those runs in behind. It was a pretty interesting dynamic and both of those players were trying to get in behind quite a bit. And so was, so was a lot of the team because Real Betis was playing a really vertically compact 4-4-2 that morphed into a 4-1-4-1. 4-1. 
and tried to really compact the space centrally, pushing Real Madrid wide, making it difficult for them to go through the center. And it ultimately resulted in Real Madrid pumping a lot of balls in behind to try and exploit this high line that Real Betis was holding. And throughout the game, there were actually 13 offsides calls. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen on Twitter, some of those calls were pretty poor. But it really does show how much we were relying on those balls over the top or through the lines to try and get to the attacking players. Real Madrid set up in a 4-4-2 defensively. Aslani and Esther were up top running like mad women trying to close down space. I thought the front two were actually a little disconnected at times from the midfield four. And uh, the midfield four and the back four were pretty good at holding things together. Real Betis really didn't create much. The game started off, and it almost started off exactly like the game against Real Sociedad with an early Esther goal. In the first minute, she's played through, and she is about to take a shot when it's tackled away just at the last second. It goes out for a corner. Ensuing corner comes. It ultimately ends up out toward the right-hand side of the box, and Athenea puts an in-swinging cross toward the front post. Esther gets there sliding, puts it off the post, and in the second minute, so it actually would have been a minute quicker than she scored against Real Sociedad. Then, Betis responds pretty quickly. A couple of corners, a little spell of pressure, a lot of crosses, but can't really muster any shots. Misa did well to come out and punch, keep the grab a couple balls, really preventing them from getting any kind of rebounds. And then there was a real dead period in the match where... It was looking a lot like Osnar Ball of old. A lot of pumping it down the flanks. A lot of passing it in between center backs. But being unable to find the double pivot. I actually thought that a lot of our buildup ended up going left and wide towards Fava. Because we are struggling to access that double pivot. We've talked about this so many times. The automatic numerical disadvantage in the midfield when you just have those two. You know, we had Asalani dropping, we had Esther dropping at times, but the fluidity, the understanding between Zornosa Kasi, Aslani, and Esther to try and have some of that central progression, that dominance in the center of the park was really not there today, and it resulted in a lot of wide balls and balls down into the channel. But Svava played pretty well. Olga got into space and was running. Athenea, when the ball got to her, she was really putting on a show with some of her skills. In the 22nd minute, she had a great little turn and cross. Aslani got a touch to it, but the keeper came out and cleared it. And that was really the majority of the open play chances. Those two chances from Esther and Aslani in the first half, which kind of goes to show just how poor Real Madrid were at controlling the game, pinning Real Betis back, and really making them pay for what is a dangerously high line. That being said, Real Betis were extremely physical throughout this match. Lots of crunching fouls, which really heightened in the second half when Real Madrid did have a little bit more of a foothold or a dominant foothold in the game. 
You know, I talked about the re- return of Zornosa, and I talked about how the midfield kind of struggled today. I thought Zornosa looked rusty coming back, and you know, I could probably check that against the player ratings when they come out, because whether it's Ohm or Yash, I think that that will sh- reflect in the ratings because she was trying a lot of those high risk, high reward passes that we talked about previously in podcasts where she's hitting this this ping ball forward and it's either going to turn into a, an amazing through pass that creates a chance or it's a turnover and Bethys is going in in transition and with the high line that Bethys was holding this gave Zornosa a lot of space to work with in behind and there were a lot of runners going but it just really didn't come off today some uncharacteristic giveaways some questionable decisions on the ball. And like I said, Bethys did a pretty good job of staying vertically compact and then capitalizing on either the offside trap or the offside flag coming up when it shouldn't have gone up. Esther and Aslani did a good job, I thought, of timing each other's runs so that they were making different runs, or one was dropping and one was running in behind. Aslani, you could tell with this start, was really trying to get a goal here. Lots of diagonal runs in behind. Lots of vertical runs toward goal. She was caught offside a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Like a Sophia Jakobsen, a lot level of offsides. But some of them, <laughs> some of them were the incorrect call. But... As we've talked about so many times, this is what you have to deal with in Primera Iberdrola. The funding, the resources for referees aren't there. So in games like this, this is bound to happen at times. But luckily, Real Madrid were eventually able to find a way through in the second half, and we'll get there. Real Madrid had two more chances or half chances in that first half. You had... 30-minute, Zornosa has a free kick. She curls it over the wall with her left foot. It dips down right toward the post and is just wide. Four minutes later, Zornosa comes back again. Free kick in a similar position. This time she finds Aslani, and Aslani had kind of stalled her run and peeled off the back shoulder of the defender. She becomes wide open, tries to bring it down with her knee. Mistouch takes it away from her. And really, that was all that happened in the first half from a chance perspective. Real Betis did not create a single thing, just pumping balls forward. Rocio and Ivana did a pretty good job of dealing with that, as well as Svava and Kenti. And Real Madrid, it looked a lot like the approach we've seen so many times, especially with this double pivot, so I'm not going to get too into that. The first half, we had we had six offside calls. Like I said, some of them were not offside, some of them were, but at this level, you know, you got to limit the amount of offsides that you can control. Some of them were offsides, a lot of them were in the first half. I thought the offside calls that were wrong were primarily in the second half, but we'll hop right into that second half. Basically... We got it to the flank again. It, the The first half started, or the second half started a lot like the first half, but this time there was a little more urgency, a little quicker ball movement, but it was also a lot of get it to the flank and force a cross. 
There were moments where we got it to the flank when we were possessing it a little bit more on the flank. And I thought that we could have recycled possession. We could have had second, third waves of attack. And instead, we just force across to no one in the box or someone like Esther who's extremely outnumbered. And a lot of these crosses were were not great. We had a pretty good counterattack in the 55th minute. Athenea picked up the ball, passed it to Zornosa. Zornosa kind of plays it across the opposite side of the field to Aslani, who's going to be sprinting at the back line. She's at about midfield, and she is just absolutely hacked down. A couple minutes later, she's absolutely hacked down again. We start to see some yellow cards. I think there were yellow cards issued, actually, for both of these challenges. And then it's Aslani again who basically creates the best chance of the game so far in the 59th minute. There's a throw-in on the left side from Svava. Aslani is positioned at the top of the 18, kind of on the the left-hand side of the box, and is backing down her defender, kind of boxing her out in basketball terms. She lets the, the throw roll across her body. She turns with it, leaves her defender in the dust, She's 1v1, tries to lift it over the keeper, and the keeper makes a really good save to deny her. And it, at that moment, it's one of those times where you're starting to think, oh, here we go again. We've seen this story play out a million times, whether it's Osnar or whether it's Toril. We were just not creating a lot of chances. That was a brilliant, brilliant chance, and, and Aslani was not able to convert. To make matters worse, the goalkeeper gives up a rebound. It looks like Esther might get there, but it's cleared out at the last second. Two minutes later, we see our first substitution of the game in the 61st minute. Cardona comes on for Aslani, and Muller comes on for Svava, which means Olga drops into that left-back position. Muller goes into the... 10 roll Cardona goes out wide and then we get another substitution in the 67th minute and Maite Ros and Lucia come on for Kasi and Kenti then we start to get a lot of fresh legs on the pitch we start to have a better understanding of what Betis are doing Betis are tiring and um Real Madrid start to play a lot better. You see Maite making these really great through passes, one to Caroline Muller-Hansen that she wasn't able to handle a few through. And when you get these players with fresh legs on, you start to see some more life from some of the other attackers. One thing that I forgot to mention when Cardona comes on, she goes out to the right and Athenea switches to the left flank where I think Athenea has really found her best position out there and has been operating at an extremely high level. And in the 68th minute, she drives into the box and does a little cutback toward the byline and goes down. She appeals for a penalty. The referee plays on. To me, it looked like a penalty, especially considering some of the the really harsh challenges that Betis were putting in. It looked violent. We didn't have a great 
angle of it. And by violent, I don't mean red card violent. It looked rash. It looked like the the defender had a lot of pace when they went into slide. It was a hard tackle, not violent. That was not the best way to put it. But you understand what I'm saying because some of these challenges as as we went through the game did get violent. And I thought that the ref could have handed out a few more yellow cards. But whatever, the ref does not give the penalty. And it eventually doesn't really matter because one minute later, Real Madrid go ahead. This starts at the back. Ivana Andres has the ball around midfield and plays a really good line-breaking entry pass to Esther, who not only receives in a really tight area, but does well to to turn and then do a little one-two in between her feet to get by multiple defenders. She's barreling in towards goal. The goalkeeper tries to close down the angle, much like she did against Aslani, but Esther has enough space, enough time, enough coolness of head, to lift the ball and put it into the back of the net. Exterminator gets the job done. Another goal, another crucial, super, super important goal that gives Real Madrid the lead. And from there on out, we start to see the weight lifted off of Real Madrid's shoulders. They start to play better. 80th minute, Maite Arose plays a great through ball. Caroline Muller-Hansen runs onto it. Now Muller's one versus one with the keeper a little to the right-hand side. Puts the shot on goal, but it's really just right at the keeper. Could have picked a corner. It looked like she was attempting to go to the back corner where it would have been a sure goal. No defender was getting back to it, but the finish just wasn't there in that moment. Eight minutes later, Martha Cardona drives at the defense, makes a really nice move to get around a challenge, sprays it wide to Athenea, Athenea is on the left, gets it, drives in, crosses it. Who is it? Esther, again, making a run toward the near post. Gets a touch to it, but is denied the brace by a diving save. I mean, Esther was all over the place, as she has been for games on games on ends. I think this is a good time to talk about Esther because she's really stepped up in a way that you can just see the impact she has, of course, with her goals. She has 12 goals on the season. But she's not only scoring goals, she's scoring super important goals that are giving Real Madrid the lead, giving Real Madrid points, game winners. And I think what's been really, really underrated in her game is is her defensive ability, her pressing angles, her ability to close down, make players uncomfortable, make them make turnovers. As we saw in the Real Sociedad game, this led directly to a goal when she picked off the back pass. Today, she she did the defensive work that she always does, but she was also able to put in that offensive work with that great slaloming run, great finish. She's popping up in great positions with her intelligent box runs. Today, we saw a lot of those box runs slashing toward the near post and trying to redirect and on another day she gets two more goals if she's not denied by a great save and the post now this isn't to say that Esther had a 10 out of 10 performance she was one of the most impactful players on the day that is for sure but I think 
Ohm would be disappointed in me because he's not able to be here to say that she does have a tendency to drop deep and hold on to the ball for too long. You see her drop deep, try and do too much, beat a few players, and hold on to the ball when you could easily drop, get the ball, play a quick one-touch pass backward, play a one-touch back pass to the side, take a couple touches, release a runner. She tends to look first to do it all herself, and maybe if Toriel is able to give her some advice in this good run of form, it's to be to have a quicker release. There are a lot of times where if you just play that ball one second faster, you have Martha Cardona or Athenea or Aslani running in on goal. You hold it for a couple seconds. It allows the defense to identify those spaces, recover, patch it up, and then that moment of transition is gone. And I think if there's one thing that Esther can look at at her game right now, and say, how can I help this team continue to strengthen itself? It's by releasing the ball quicker in those vital situations. I do like what she does dropping off deep at times, but when she does that, you have to realize that you need to do that to to weave things together, to link things up, and then spring the attack forward. There are times to take your foot off the gas, but when the time is there to put your foot on the gas. I just think she's a little slow to the trigger and could benefit from trying to get the ball quicker, maybe giving yourself five seconds to hold onto the ball and release. You got to release before five seconds. You got to release before three seconds. Obviously there are moments that call for different things, but this would maybe get her in that, that mindset of going toward goal, trying to capitalize in transition. Where to next? I think, you know, we've talked about the Esther goal. We talked about the Muller chance. There's another good chance um, that that um, might they carves out or would have carved out if Caroline Muller Hansen was um, a little more attentive to, to the might they magic. In the 89th minute, might they gets his ball and just Finesse is a beautiful side-footed pass, slice it through the defense, and Muller was just absolutely frozen. Had all the space in the world to run into, had an opportunity at another one versus one, but was unable to get on the ball. In the 89th or in the 91st minute, Bettys actually have their first real chance of the game, and that is because Real Madrid falls asleep a little bit on the defense. Betis is just throwing everything because if they're going to get something out of it, they need to get it out of it now. And what happens is they play a quick little 1-2 on the top of the box. They get a chance, but ultimately is sprayed a little bit wide, pushed wide of Misa's goal, and... At that moment, you think that about wraps things up. You have Teresa come on in the 91st minute for Athenea, basically a substitution just to waste time. Honestly, it's not just because it's Teresa, but in a game like this, I just don't think that that's called for, and it puts the, the player in a really tough position because she comes on with 91 on the clock. You're playing to 93 I just think that Athenea 
can see that out and Real Madrid can see that out, especially since they have a goal kick, they have the ball. There's no real need to make that substitution. But it happens. Um, Teresa comes on. They're able to see out the result. And Real Madrid get a 1-0 win, courtesy of the Esther goal. Huge, huge, huge three points. Because not only that we need to take three points, basically from every match, if we need, if we want to hope to get into those number two and number three positions, but also because of the results that happened earlier in the day and later in the day. As we foreshadowed in the previous podcast, Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid played today. The two rivals who, at the time of playing the match, were in second and third, but Atleti actually drops to fourth after this because the teams played to a 2-2 draw. Real Sociedad was at home, but drops points again. Atleti scored in the 7th minute. Nerea Ezeguire scored in the 15th to even things out. Gabby Garcia, who, who played well against us, gave Real Sociedad the lead in the 59th minute, and then it was Lunmila in the 80th minute who tied it up. And the team split the points. Going down the table... Barcelona demolished Ibar, does not really pertain to us because Ibar, who is our next opponent, isn't really challenging in the same spot on the table as as we are. And Barcelona's so far ahead that we don't even... I cropped him out of the table when looking at um, the table on the Las Blancas account because there's just no sense in focusing on Barcelona in the league. Sevilla and Alaves drew... Huelva beat Atletico Athletic Club, which is a which is a nice result as we can as we close in on Athletic Club. Madrid CFF lost to Tenerife, and Tenerife actually jumped Atleti into the Champions League qualification spots in third place. Villarreal beat Rayo Vallecano, and Valencia beat Levante. And so, as the table stands right now, Barcelona is in first by far. Real Sociedad has played 20 games and has 44 points. Tenerife has played 20 games and has 40 points. In fourth place, just out of the qualification spots, is Atleti with 19 games, 39 points. They have a game in hand on the people above them, but that game in hand is against Real Madrid Femenino. Atletic Club, who is behind Atleti, is in 5th place, 20 games played, 33 points. So we really closed the gap because we are in 6th place, 18 games played, 32 points. So we have 1 point behind Bilbao in 5th place, but we have 2 games in hand on them. And then you look at that 32 points, 18 games. Atleti has to play us at some point for that game in hand. If we win the 2 games in hand which would mean beating Atleti, we would have 38 points, and that would be one point behind Atleti, not looking at other results. And that would put us two points behind Granadilla in third place. So if we're able to win those two games in hand, we are really pushing into the conversation for that third place spot. We've got to keep improving. 
the three points was was good today and the three points was good against La Real because they kept us in the race, but the performances have not really been there. I've had some conversations on Twitter. Ohm and I have been talking about it. Obviously, Thoreal has come in and we've gotten a lot better results. He's come in and there's no doubt that Real Madrid Femenino has more confidence. They're individually playing better. They're defensively solid, but we haven't seen much tactically that has differed from David Osnar's tenure other than Mike Deodoro was playing in the number 10, which has been a good move. And this is no diss toward, towards Toril because he has not had that much time to implement. He's doing a lot of rotations, which is something that's keeping our best players fresh. It's keeping our best players healthy. But we haven't started to see these dominant performances that we expect from this team we have the ability in the midfield we have the ability to play the ball from the back we have the the forwards everything we have the personnel to be able to play a ball dominant possession dominant pin your opponents back style of play and we still too often just concede to what the opponents want I think today Betis did a good job Real Sociedad in the last game did a good job of making things difficult, but we just didn't really have answers, and it didn't even look like we came into the game with answers. We're just relying on individual brilliance to get us results, which it has, which is a great thing because we're back in this conversation. Back when we were talking about Osnar's dismissal a little before then, I didn't think that it was possible for us to come back and make this a race for those second and third place positions. We're doing that. We're on our way to do that. But when you rely on individual brilliance like we do, people are going to have off days. People are going to struggle. There's going to be a goalkeeper that stands on their head and denies you. And... These are things that happen, and we haven't really found a way to consistently break down teams, a way to consistently create chances, other than Esther just going Terminator mode and putting the ball in the back of the net. I think the next step for this team, like we've been talking about for so long, is having that dominant possession game. Or, if you don't have a dominant possession game and Toriel wants to do something different, just need to establish an identity that the team can rely on, that the team can fall back on in moments that are difficult. Ultimately, I think that's where Real Madrid takes the next step to not just be in the conversation for these Champions League spots, but locking these Champions League spots up in second and in third and being a consistent threat in those early stages of the Champions League and hopefully getting into the latter stages like we have this season. That is all I have to say about this game. I hope you guys have found this at least a little bit enjoyable. I know that Ohm isn't here to give you all the tactical breakdowns. I tried to do my best. It is not easy going solo, but we make do. We wish Ohm that he, that he starts to feel better, that he could be on the podcast for the next game. And the next game is Sunday, February 13th against Ibar. It's at Ibar. And Ibar, like I said, got absolutely 
thumped by Barcelona, as most teams do. They lost 7-0 today and gave up five goals in the first half. Ibar have, have really struggled this season. In their past few games, they've lost to Barcelona. They've lost to Athletic Club. They did beat Madrid CFF. They lost to Betis. They've lost to Levante. They've only got about two wins in their last 10 or so games. So not great. They're sitting in 15th place. Second to last, only in front of Rayo Vallecano, who, as you guys know, is, has a lot of on-field and off-field problems that we've detailed, especially the off-field problems. So Ibar has to be another game where we rotate the squad, we get the three points, and hopefully we'll start to see some better performances and some semblance of an identity for this team going forward. Because, like I said, we'll need to rely on that when the going gets tough down the stretch. Pleasure, as always, to talk to you guys. I hope you didn't hate this too much. I know that it can get pretty boring listening to one person talk for, what is it now, 33 minutes. But I hope you didn't tune out. I hope you made it to this this last part. And uh, I hope to have Owen back on, on the podcast on Sunday. We will keep you updated with everything, whether it be when we play these games in hand, match previews. As always, I post a, an article before the match with a how to watch and everything like that. But as always, guys, hope you're doing well. Hope the team continues to, to get results, and I hope the performances start to match some of these results. And we look toward Betty or we look toward Ivar and we look towards hopefully three more points and continuing to close the gap and we'll we'll keep an eye on the other results around us and see if anybody can do us some favors. As always, a la Madrid.